we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, we've all through the summer, we've been talking about um, uh, God's call on different uh, men and women's lives and how they responded to that. Now we're going to go the next step and talk about God's promises to people and their promises back. This idea of a covenant or kind of a, a mutual agreement. Now, what we've got to deal with here is, um, is when God promises and says, okay, I will if you will, we've got to roll the play in that. So we're going to be talking a lot about what God promised, and we're going to talk, be talking about some, quite a bit, about what we have promised. Now, if you take a quick look at some objects, they mean something. What does a diamond on a ring on uh, the left hand of a young woman mean? It means she's engaged, right? I think that's still true, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, I mean, she's engaged. A lot of things have changed. I don't think that's changed. Um, if you walk into a doctor's office and he's got a framed diploma from a medical school somewhere, what does that mean? It means he graduated. It means he's qualified to do the work that he's um, been asked to do. He's qualified to, um, uh, in this case, it gives you some encouragement or some comfort that, or some assurance that this guy knows what he's talking about or this woman knows what they're talking about, okay? So there are some symbols that immediately when we see them, we recognize there's some meaning behind it. Today, we're going to look at a sign from God that communicates not only an important promise, but also uh, of, of what we believe to be what the Bible teaches as a fact of history. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about the story of Noah that we'll read the end of, more or less, here at, um, in, in chapters 8 and 9. Okay, now you remember that God called a righteous man. I think it's wonderful when it, two or three times Noah's described as a righteous man in his generation. God goes to him and calls him to do something very, very special. What's he supposed to do? Build an ark. And he says, what's an ark? Okay. There weren't boats because there wasn't a whole lot of water around in his area. But he, by faith, begins to build a boat. Uh, God says it's going to rain. And, uh, and Noah says, what's that? And, uh, but he does, does so anyway. And um, uh, it's interesting. In rabbinic teaching, there is thought that uh, here's the, the depth of, of the faith of Noah. In rabbinic teaching, there's the thought that the wood that Noah used to build the ark, he, he harvested from trees that he had planted. Now that's faith. I plant the trees, I wait for them to grow up, and then I harvest them to build this boat. That's kind of amazing. You remember what kind of wood the... Uh, the ark was built, at, built out of gopher wood. You know that it was named gopher wood by his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Because for like 20 years of their lives, every day when they got up, dad said, go for wood, go for wood, go for wood. <laughs> you didn't know that's where that came from. Well, I'm 
sorry. I'm glad I... Huh? Go back to the atrium? Uh -uh, we're not going back there. I brought the sappiness with me is what I did, Joe. Okay? I didn't. I'm kind of surprised you guys didn't know that. So, okay. Um, so, we can only imagine the joy and relief of uh, Noah and his family and as they experience leaving the ark and stepping one, time, one more time on dry ground. Now, we know it, that the rain lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Really, in context, they could have been on the boat for a year. Wow, that's a long time on a boat. And um, especially when you've never been on a boat before and with all kinds of animals with you. So, um, Darla, you want to introduce your buddies to us today? We're happy they're here. Hi guys, Gabby and Trey, welcome. It's so good to see you guys. Eventually I'll quit talking and it'll be better. Okay, all right. But we're glad you're here. What sweet children. Okay, so um, Noah's first act is what we're going to study today. What did he do first? He, well, after. He built an altar. Yeah, he built an altar. We'll, we'll talk about that and what it means. Now, Steve Blair... You don't even need a microphone today. Would you mind to read? Uh, we're in we're in chapter eight. Read twenty twenty one and twenty two. Quite a promise, huh? Would somebody now, since we can hear one another back in our little room, somebody go to 4-4. Four, four. I want someone to read 4-4 four, four in just a minute. Who will do that? Sally, thank you. And um, Karen, can you get one of you guys back there to read 7-2 uh, in just a minute, okay? Now, what we're seeing here is the first reference of an altar mentioned in Scripture. An altar mentioned in Scripture. The, um, the, uh, the churches that John and I grew up in always had an altar at the front, a uh, place to pray. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was a little boy, occasionally I'd go to the Methodist church of my aunt, and they had altars in front of, of their church down in Wayne, Oklahoma. But my Uncle Earl, which I kind of got the sense that Uncle Earl only went to church when I was there, but I don't, I'm not really sure. But he would usually elbow me at the end of the service and say, you need to go to the mourner's bench. And he called it a mourner's bench. Uh, I've never heard it called that until my Uncle Earl called it that. That might have been the, the some extent of Earl's theology. But he called it a mourner's bench. Some churches don't have, we've got them in the front of each of our places of worship here. But, but um, it's a place to pray. Now, now, an altar in this case was a place to offer a sacrifice. It was a place to worship. What I want you to understand, even though Moses, sorry, do you ever do that? I do that a lot. And I went to seminary and I still mix them up. Noah, this, this wasn't the first instance of worship. 
in uh, the Old Testament or in time. Worship is kind of woven through the fabric of all of life. But this is the first time we read about somebody setting up some stones and offering a sacrifice on them in, in, in that way. Now, let's read 4.4, 4, Sally. Here's the first reference I could find to offering an animal sacrifice is right here. Isn't it interesting? This is Abel, second generation human, okay? Cain and Abel, the, the uh, son, uh, the two sons of um, uh, Adam and Eve, all right? And we, we see that Abel is offering a sacrifice. Now, we don't see anything mentioned about an altar, but a, an animal sacrifice was already part of things. Worship was already part of things. Isn't it interesting that the first murder occurred over worship? Cain's offering wasn't accepted. Abel's was. It got them in, in this thing. Okay, but the, my point is here, there is worship mentioned here. Worship actually precedes the law of Moses. Uh, it was already taking place. Certainly Mos uh, Noah did it here uh, long before the time of Moses, the lawgiver. All right, now... Uh, we think, it's pretty clear here, that when they talk about the animals placed on the ark, there were more what we would call clean animals, that is, those for them to eat and those for them to sacrifice, than there were of unclean animals. Now, Karen, can you have read 7-2? Thank you, Leanna, very much. Now, what'd you, what'd you pick out there? They took seven pair of the clean animals. So there would be those available, uh, a clean animal for sacrifice here. So when, when Noah steps on dry ground, really the first thing he does is he creates an altar. He builds a fire. That's another question. Where'd the fire come from? Did they carry some with them? I suppose they did. But he, um, he starts a fire offers a, 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 a live sacrifice on the altar here and burns offerings on it uh, as they come back. Now, what is God's response to this? I think this is really interesting. What is God's response, verse 21? Do what? He was pleased. And I think that's an important thing. Uh, uh, Jan, when I read this, I don't need to think God has a nose. Is it God smelled it and it was pleasing to him? Does that mean God has a nose? No, that's not what's being talked about here. This is symbolic, kind of anthropomorphic language. Just saying God, God saw the sacrifice of Noah, and he was pleased about that. God loves it when you worship. When you bring attention to him. When you acknowledge him. He loves that. He accepts it. It pleases him. Now, there's another thing in the last part of this verse that I want to be sure that we don't miss. Does God, God addresses here man's propensity to sin. And you remember the flood came as a result of the pervasive nature of sin throughout humankind. And he chooses this family of eight people to preserve. 
because everybody um, outside of the family was, uh, the sin had just pervaded. But the, my interest here is, uh, was the great flood a permanent solution for the problem of sin? Not at all. You catch that? Um, what, what God says here indicates that a flood won't be enough to wipe out our bent towards sin. That's going to take a Savior, another sacrifice. We'll talk about that certainly as we go through this. Now, God promises some things in verse 22 that are unchanging. I began to think about this in the, in the context of what's going to... Is it tomorrow that the eclipse takes place? It isn't. Have you got your glasses? You got your glasses, Bill? Do you have to order them? How do you get them? Huh? That to be sneaky? Okay. Uh, here's, what I, here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't think you can go outside with your Ray-Bans on and be okay. I, my understanding is you could ruin some eyes on that. Um, my, I heard last night you can ruin the camera on your phone by this thing so just be careful um, um, I, I don't know I, I, I guess this time tomorrow uh, at 1 o'clock tomorrow will be kind of dark here which will be interesting that being said um, one of the reasons this is remarkable because it's not normal it's not what normally happens at 1 o'clock in the afternoon in August uh, would, would you agree? Day is day, light. Night is dark. That, God says that's how it's going to be, and that's how it is. And you and I typically see it that way. By the way, this may be the first parenthetical reference in the Bible to climate change. Now, if you'll read the surrounding verses, if you read the surrounding verses and how high the water rose above the mountains. You can imagine with that much water covering the planet, there was a change in climate cooler. You can imagine that. And, uh, and by the way, um, the EPA was begun right here. You know what? Uh, okay, not going there. But the EPA, uh, the, the, interestingly, the change in climate didn't happen as a result of what man did. It happens as a result of what God did. Peter is going to say, one of these days there will be a cataclysmic change in climate. This earth is going to be burned up. And it won't be anything you did. It won't be some guy in North Korea pushing a button. It will be when God says it's time. Okay? Now, that does, whatever you believe about climate change is what you believe, and that's okay. But I'm just going to say here, um, this is something God did. This was not what man did. So, God makes this promise that seasons will recur, day and night will follow one another, just like it should be. All right, now let's go on. Cindy, since, since Steve has gone to do his labor, would you read the next three verses? Uh, actually, four verses, eight, eight through 11. Uh-huh. And we're going to go over to chapter 9. Thank you for reminding me of that.
There's some key phrases here. I've established my covenant with you. Never again. All life. You know, all those things are, are important here. Now, what we've got to see here is that in the first seven or so verses of uh, this, of this uh, of chapter 9, he tells Noah's family, um, uh, Noah's sons, to repopulate the earth, uh, to be fruitful and multiply. And, uh, and he then offers this, um, this covenant uh, to all people that will come after that. All people henceforth for all time are included in this covenant that God offers here. Now, this will not be the first time that God has spoken, spoken to Noah. Let's, let's kind of track what he said to him. Go back to chapter 6. Okay, I'm going to just read there. This is the fifth time I believe God has spoken to Noah. Look at 6.13. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Okay, uh, look at 7.1. Then the Lord said to Noah, this is the second time, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Boy, what a, what a tribute. 8.15. All right, in 8.15, then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. So there's the beginning of, uh, of the chapter that we're really talking about now. And then 9.1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So uh, God has spoken to Noah before and here's kind of, this is the fifth time of that. Now, if you notice in verse 10, all life is included in this promise. All of, um, all of animal life, all other life is included in this. It's, I find this interesting. Every living creature is included. All life has value before God, deserves respect. Uh, as I thought about this, uh, thought about verse 10 this week, uh, where God says, and with every, um, my covenant is with you and with every living creature that's with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you and all that comes out of the ark, even every, with every beast of the earth. And I, and I wrote the note in my, in my notes that God values all life, even animal life. Now you and I know that, that some animal life has the value printed right on the package. Five ninety nine a pound. Okay, God does, this just doesn't exclude that thought. But it's the idea of having respect for life, and there there are huge segments of our population that no longer have respect for life. That's part of what what's being talked about here. Um, this God values that. Now notice what this covenant does not promise in verse eleven. Let me read verse eleven again. He says. I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by water or flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. Now notice here, because I, I, I don't want you to think God has been, gone back on his word. It does not promise no more flooding. Catch that? It promises no more uh, comprehensive, destructive floods like this one, that destroyed all life on the earth. It doesn't promise there will be no more floods, nor does it promise there will never again from that point be loss of life from flooding. You and I read about it nearly every week, don't we? But that's not what God's saying here. 
he's talking about this universal flood that has just passed. And, and you and I got to be clear about that. Now go with me to verse 12. All right, let's read. Uh, somebody would pick it up right there. Read verse 12 down through 17. Here's where the rainbow comes in, our symbol for today. Somebody read it. All life in the earth. Okay, so let's go back to how we started. What does a ring on the left, a diamond ring on the left hand of a young woman mean? She's getting married, or she may be. It's a covenant of marriage. Okay. What does um, what does a um, um, a diploma mean on the wall of your doctor? It means they've been to medical school. There's a promise there. There's there, he's fulfilling something. So what does a bow in the sky mean? After a rain. No universal disaster flooding. And it's God's promise to you and I. And it's part of this covenant to us. Now, um, uh, let's look at a couple other places. Because I want you to see this. The word bow that's used here. I've placed my bow in the clouds. Okay. Um, okay, Chris. I'm going to welcome you to class this way, all right? Would you go to the psalm portion that's printed there and read it? Would you mind to do that? Because I know you can read it. I've heard you read before. Um, um, psalm 48, 22. Morgan, I'm going to pick on you. If you'd go to 1 Samuel 18, 4. These guys are both MacU graduates. If they don't know how to read the scriptures, then we're all in trouble. <laughs> psalm 48, 22 and 1 Samuel 18, 4. Okay? Did I get the wrong passage? Well, then I did get the wrong passage, didn't it? <laughs> While I'm trying to cover my mistake, no, uh, uh, Morgan, would you read, please? Uh, by the way, that was a test to see if he knew the Bible. <laughs> uh, Morgan, go ahead and read uh, uh, 1 Samuel 18.4. Okay, so it's talking about Jonathan and his bow. Same word. Interesting. I'm going to make a little stretch here. Uh, Chris, where we really need to go is Genesis 48:22. I just put the wrong. You know, it's all important that you include all of the detail in there and not get it wrong. Genesis 48:22 is what we need, which is not far from where we are now. So it's talking about a, 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 an archer's bow. Same word as rainbow. And by the way, the word rainbow is not used. It's bow. You will see my bow in the clouds. Okay, Chris, you got 4822? With my bow. Okay, so that's clearly a military term talking about an archer's bow. Could it be? I don't know. 
could it be? That God is saying, I'm laying my weapon down. I don't know. But I think about that when I think, when you will see my bow, I won't use that bow again. Just an interesting thought. Now, how, in verse 14, I just put the, the thought here, an intriguing thought to me. We know the science of rainbows. I can see Ellie, he's over here going, we all know that rainbows happen because of, okay? He's watched the History Channel. He watches A&E, you know, all that stuff. I, I get that. I went to nasa.gov this week. By the way, what does it mean that it's got .gov after it? it? means you paid for it. That's what it means. Okay. Here's what NASA says about rainbows. Okay, here's what it says. If you had no idea at all about what a rainbow is or what it causes it, you might actually believe some of the legends that different ancient cultures have created to explain it. Rainbows are among the most beautiful of nature's displays. Okay, nature did this. Certainly not God. Nature did it, right? A rainbow isn't really a thing, and it doesn't exist in a particular place. Both of those thing and place are in quotes. It is an optical phenomenon that appears when sunlight and atmospheric conditions are just right, and the viewer's position is just right to see it. A rainbow requires water droplets to be floating in the air. That's why we see them right after the rain. The sun also, also must be behind you. So it begins to kind of tell us what a rainbow is scientifically. So here's my question. If we know the science of rainbows, does it affect your appreciation of what God has promised here when he puts a bow in the cloud? Has he kept his promise? Now, by the way, this would have been, oh, help me think. This would have been... 2500 B.C., somewhere in there, I, I'm thinking, at least 2000 B.C., the story of Noah. Has he kept his word so far? Have you ever seen a rainbow? If you read that symbol after rain and think, okay, it stopped raining, God kept his word. He's kept his word for what? 4,500 years so far. I don't think I need to really be worried about that. Uh, it's funny what he says here in verse 15. The way it's written, he says, he's going to say, when you see the bow in the cloud, remember. He doesn't really say that. He, what does he say in verse 15? I'll remember. God, I'll remember. Is God that forgetful? There's got to be something else going on here. I mean, he's really old, but he's not getting forgetful like I am. God says, this is going to be an assurance to you. He doesn't need a reminder. And he won't forget his promise to you. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'll ask it again in a few minutes. Can you recall anything in your life, either now or formerly, that God has promised you. Don't answer it out loud. What has God promised you? Will he keep his promise? That's a rhetorical question, isn't it? So, in verse 16 and 17, he leaves us with the thought that this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh on the earth. 
And this is an everlasting covenant, he says in verse 16. What does the word everlasting mean here? It means, got to be careful here, because this promise won't be needed in heaven. In eternity, this promise won't be needed. This promise is for as long as earth endures. Now, there's an implication in that, that one of these days, earth will not endure. Okay? But as long as earth endures, the promise is good. Now, how important, here's kind of where I want to end today. By the way, I, I said next week, we'll be in 17. We're going to look at the covenant promise of circumcision with, um, with Abraham, with Abram. Okay, so read chapter 17 or so, and we'll get into that next week. We're going to look at several of the promises and their symbols, and then we're going to look on at uh, how the covenant relates to you and me uh, on beyond that. Okay, here's a question that I left. How important was God's covenant, was this covenant with Noah? I heard a great sermon earlier this week by uh, Dr. Fozard on Abram and Abraham. But I began to think, Without, the, without Noah's life, Noah's keeping his word, Noah's building the ark, and God's promise to Noah with the symbol of the bow in the sky, there would have been no Abram. Noah was faithful. So, without Noah's promise, without his faithfulness, there would be no Abraham. What we're going to study next week. Without Noah's promise, God's promise to Noah and Noah's faithfulness, there would be no Isaac, Abraham's son, the son born in old age to Abraham and Sarah. Without Noah's promise, without God's promise to Noah and without Noah's faithfulness and God's faithfulness, there would be no Jacob and therefore no Israel. Abram's grandson and his progeny. Without God's promise to Noah and without Noah's faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to Noah, follow me here, don't throw me out yet, there would be no Jesus. Part of that family, part of the Hebrew Israelite family. I think God's promise to know is pretty important to you. I think the story of Noah's faithfulness to God and his belief in God is really, really important. So I'm going to go back to my question that I asked about five minutes ago or so. What has God promised you? Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Because you said a couple of things that God had done for you a few minutes ago. In celebrating your birthday, I can't say it. 80th birthday. What has God promised you? Has he kept his word? I'm not picking on you because you're 80. I'm picking on you because I know you know that God is faithful. 
Has God promised you anything? Has he thus far, Janet, been faithful? He has, hasn't he? Have you ever caught him going back on his word? You're not going to either. I think of some of the things that you have been through and some of the things that, that your families have been through. And I, I could just, you know, I look at Richard and Kay and I think of really lost it all in a tornado. And then Richard is with cancer. And, but has, has God been with you? That's what he promised, didn't he, Kay? You see, I, I submit to you that when you see the bow in the clouds, just remember God's faithfulness. I, I don't really tend, when I see a rainbow in the cloud, I, I don't tend to worry. Okay, well, I was afraid God was going to destroy the earth with rain again. Uh, do you? I, mean, I don't think we do that. But it ought to be a cue to me, a symbol, a visual cue for me to say, God is faithful. He's unchanging in that way. Somebody once said to me, if God were 99 and 44% faithful, he would not be faithful. He's 100% faithful. If there is ever a time that you could prove from scriptures or prove from your life or somebody else's life that God has not come through, that God has not kept his word, then he is not faithful. But God is faithful. We're going to talk some more about God's promises to you and to yours and how he has kept his word. And we'll continue this discussion in Genesis 17 next week. I'm really glad to be back home. How about you? Good to see you.